Welcome to Ariel Talk Time, hosted by business intuitive, entrepreneur, and founder of Ariel, Victoria Lynn Weston. Listen to her thought-provoking interviews with inspiring leaders, creators, and intuitive thinkers who share their stories and lifestyle tips to enhance your way of living. And we're inviting you to join our conversation. If you like this interview, please post a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Hi, everyone. It's Victoria here. I hope you're having a great day wherever you are. Before I introduce my exciting guest, and I know you're going to love hearing her story, I want to talk to you a little bit about the future. And the future is here with voice technology. If you're looking for a new and exciting and unique way to engage your audience, entertain your audience, inform your audience, it's all about Amazon Alexa. That's right. I got my start in technology as far as utilizing it to sort of entertain the audiences back in the mid-90s when I was the founder of Zoe Films Festival. We launched it first on the website, which were the first, but you actually were also the first to launch Zoe Films Festival on the cell phone. Now fast forward to today. It's all about Amazon Alexa. In my opinion, at least intuitively, that if we don't get our products and services and our business on voice platforms, then we're going to be part of history instead of the future. So if you've got a book that you want to promote, you can always have a call to action for your audience to buy your book, for instance, which is really exciting. And if you want to offer excerpts from your book to entertain people, that's even another way to sort of engage your audience. Or maybe you've got products and services like avocado oil. We actually did a skill for Bellovado, San Diego-based avocado oil company. And the skill is all about educating people about the process, organic avocado oil, what's done with it, what kind of avocados go into it, and how you make this beautiful avocado oil. Check out studiocarlton.com. Get your business products and services on Amazon Alexa. Be part of the future. And now let me introduce my guest, Karen Warner Schuler. Karen is an executive coach, speaker, and the author of The Sudden Caregiver, A Roadmap for Resilient Caregiving. Let's go connect with Karen and find our inspiration of the day. Karen, it is a pleasure to uh, have you here as a guest, and um, you have a very interesting background. First off, let's talk about you being an executive coach, because I'm always intrigued with, with people go out and decide to become a life coach, but then those that sort of raise the bar a tad and become an executive coach and a speaker. And I want you to tell me what sort of inspired you and compelled you to take that road. Well, I, it's a really interesting story. Uh, I had a great corporate career. I was a VP of worldwide marketing for a private equity firm in Boston. It was 9-11. I was outside the country having an investor event uh, that I was running in the south of France, and we, you know, served the last piece of fish and the last glass of wine, and someone said, someone's flown planes into the World Trade Center, and I just had a moment of, if this is the end of the world, this is not the job I want to be doing, so I uh, had had researched, at that time, this was 20 years ago, obviously, I had researched what it would be to be a coach because my favorite part of being a manager was helping people and developing people and getting them promoted and seeing you know the the kinds of things they could do in the world and at the end of that day when i finally connected with my husband my late husband who was in um new york that day and i said to him when i get home i'm going to quit my job and be a coach 
And then it just went from there. Uh, because I had a corporate background, it turned out that was the thing that I was good at doing. And it, it attracted me and, and um, you know, the career sort of found me. And I've never looked back. I love every single day what I do. Before we continue on with my guests, we're going to be talking a little bit about Amazon Alexa. And since my guests have their own books to promote, I want to be able to share with them and you the importance and brilliance behind Amazon Alexa skills. My company, Studio Carlton, produces custom Amazon Alexa skills so you can feature your products and services, and particularly your book, on an Amazon Alexa skill. The future is here with voice, and it's all about hands-free, voice-activated, data-driven content. Users can activate an Alexa skill using their Alexa app in their smartphone, also using Amazon Echo Dot and Echo Show and Fire TV. It's all exciting, and it's extremely very engaging. So let's talk about how you can promote your book on an Amazon Alexa skill. First, we talk with you about the book and about what your goal is. And then we go through and we create excerpts of the book and have you audio record those excerpts. We can sit with you or you can audio record on your own. We then take those audio excerpts from your book, typically under 90 seconds and right about anywhere between 30 and 60 seconds long. We then produce a custom introduction and also an outro. And in the outro, we have a call to action. And what's the call to action? To buy your book. And we do this by saying, if you'd like to order so-and-so's book, simply say, Alexa, order so-and-so's book. And then what Amazon does is they put that book in the customer's shopping cart. And then when the customer, all they have to do when they log into Amazon is basically go to and then basically check out and they purchase the book. Another way we handle a call to action, which I think is super exciting because it, it allows personal engagement with you and your audience from an Amazon Alexa skill. We also say, would you like Alexa to send you a web link via text message to your mobile device? And when a user says yes, they instantly receive a text message with a web link. And that web link goes straight to your web page or your book promotion page like an Amazon and the user can click on it and they can easily purchase that book that way. Or you can also just have a web link that drives users back to your website. Think about it in the year 2000 and thereabouts when websites were just, you know, beaming with popularity. And those users but didn't sort of step up and want to use a website, well, today they're not in business. And so you can think in terms of we're kind of the wild, wild west, you know, implementing, you know, voice skills, voice platforms, if that's Amazon Alexa or Google Home or even Siri. But Amazon Alexa is way at the helm with their Alexa skills and ability to engage their audience. It's particularly useful if you have products and services that you want to promote that are already featured on Amazon.com. For instance, in addition to books, we also produce a really exciting skill on pure avocado oil. It's called Bellavado. So you can always say, Alexa, open Bellovado, and you can learn all about olive oil. I mean, excuse me, 
You can learn all about avocado oil and the company that is based in San Diego. They produce pure avocado oil and users can ask questions. Now, I digress. So when you go back to the book, you're promoting number one, audio excerpts, but you can also have a Q&A. Suppose you have a book that isn't fiction. And maybe that person like it's about, let's say it's about uh, avocado oil. And that person, that user can actually say, well, where does it produced? And they can ask Alexa that. And then Alexa will give them an answer. And at the same token, at the end of that answer, Alexa will send a user a web link to their mobile device. So you can also set up an Alexa skill to have a user ask Alexa certain questions. If you've got a book, that you're trying to promote, you really need to consider having an Amazon Alexa to feature your book using excerpts, allowing a Q&A where a user can ask Alexa questions about the book, whether that's about the author, and maybe that author is a psychologist, or maybe that author is a teacher, or maybe that author is a life coach. So you can incorporate all those services while you're promoting and educating your audience, entertaining your audience as well about the book and keeping them engaged with text messages going to their mobile device, as well as driving users back to your website. So it's all exciting. When you're ready to have your own custom Alexa skill to promote your book or product services, I guide you to go to studiocarlton.com. We have several case studies there. You can see how we work with each client uniquely because everybody has a different voice and a different purpose and a different goal. So it's not a one-shot box that keeps everybody happy. And now let's go back to our guests. And what type of clients do you work with then? I usually am hired by large corporations, multinationals, um, org large organizations that have many people and they either have two issues. One is they're at a great place and they need them to get to a better place. And the other is they're not at the best place yet and they need to get them from where they are to a good place. And so I always say, if there's a gap between where they are and where the organization needs them to be, coaching is perfect for that. And so when you go in there and you tell uh, these upper executives and I guess middle managers as well, that you're sort of an executive coach, how do you present yourself? I've not met too many executive coaches, to be honest with you, but I know there's a lot of like uh, certifications people can get in the set and the other, but you stand out of the crowd just a tad different than everybody else. So how do you present yourself? Well, thank you. Uh, I, I think because I've been doing this for as long as I have, I I think the best way to present myself is to come with the questions, not necessarily the answers, and to help people understand that they have the answers inside themselves to get from where they are to where they need to be. I also have one of the best things I say, and it's true, is I have sat where you're sitting because I had my own corporate career. And I also say I made every mistake there was to make and coaching hadn't been invented yet. So um, it just, I spend a lot of time listening. And when I get that feeling inside that I have a direction I can share, I'll ask, is it okay if I share this with you? And usually people will go, yeah, just tell me. I, and I, again, I don't have an answer for you. I have a strong feeling this is the direction you might want to consider. And that is a little different from what they teach you in coaching school. Right. So use a, use a buzzword that I use a lot, and that is the word feeling. 
And feeling to me equates with intuition. So you're telling me that you sort of dress up intuition as a feeling and it becomes more palatable, if you will, for some of your clients. That's exactly right. It is, I, thank you for saying that, Victoria. It is a physical manifestation of, of intuition. I feel it coming and I know it's, I know I'm on the right track as a coach. And then the, you know, the, the thing about coaching is I am like a, a glass vessel through which other people shine. I'm not the person doing the work. I'm the one who says, I'm here to listen and I'm here to grab the wheel if I think you're going to do something that isn't gonna work for you. But generally speaking, just make a space that's safe for people to share what they need to share. Do you find that uh, is not always as easy as it seems like in the corporate world? And let me tell you why. I used to uh, do motivational uh, speaking uh, to corporations and that, talking about how to harness, you know, uh, intuition to make better business decisions and that. And I found during the, the sort of group uh, talks that we had is that some of these people, they were primarily, you know, men, they had a real hard time letting go or letting anybody know what their true answers were to take like some of the quizzes I might've had based on intuition. They were still kind of shy because if the boss was nearby, they didn't want the boss to know that they were sort of stepping outside that corporate DNA, for instance. So when you tell somebody from your perspective, the feeling in that, do they, do they sort of understand it or do they feel a little bit uh, squeamish because maybe the boss is nearby they don't, they don't want to know about the intuitive thing or have we advanced far from the last 15 years in that arena? I do think we've advanced. I also think what I do, because I'm hired by a corporation or, or an organization, I, I coach at um, universities as well, and the leadership there. And because I'm hired by the corporation, but given clients who work for them, I always clarify right away that my client is you, this person sitting in front of me, not the company. Therefore, if someone's boss calls me and says, hey, you know, what's Joe working on? I can say, generically, modeling the way, inspiring a shared vision, enabling the team. But I don't say, oh yeah, you know, he's really worried. He actually wants to quit because he's not happy yeah. <laughs> working for you. So um, I've managed to figure out how to do that. I, I also think I have a good political instinct. So I don't, I never want to either witness or encourage something that will run against someone's own best interests. Right, jeopardize that or, or the company. Exactly. That. So yeah, it's, it's a thin line to do that because you want to be able to elevate and motivate people at the same time and offer a different variety of tools and thinking a little different, you know, outside the box in order for them to succeed. So tell me this, what is the most interesting situation you've had as an executive coach working with a client? Oh my goodness. Um, that maybe you changed the whole trajectory of where that individual was headed or where the company was going. Maybe that was in sales or maybe you gave them a boost on what to do and things like that. Yeah, no, I've had a number of things like that. I, so I have two answers. One is I was working with someone who works for a $13 billion company and she was running a division and she was being offered a promotion 
and the client, her client, so the client, the customer of her company said, um, if you don't take the promotion, we're going to withdraw our business because we are in this, we are working with your company because of you. And that person, she, so she brought that into coaching and said, you know, I don't want this promotion. I just had a baby. I'm, you know, I'm not happy with more responsibility. I'm just be barely able to make it on my own as it is. And so the company said, well, and I think it was $12 million worth of business that was on the table. And she brought that into coaching and we worked it out and she found ways that, so she was holding herself back and she found ways to allow herself to be promoted, allow herself to figure out how to do uh, the childcare aspects of her life and the work-life balance. And the company called me and said, you just made us $12 million. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I said, I I bonus by any chance. Yeah. And, and this is my answer to that, which is it is never, it goes back to, I'm just the clear vessel. It is never my ROI. I can say that companies have, re, you know, they've performed better financially in many ways, not just money, but having happier people that actually go the extra mile because they've had the coaching that helps them plug into the organization the way it works for them. But I could never say and said in that case, uh, it's not me. She did all the work and she did take all the risk and do all the work. No, that's I'm, good. Yeah. That's exciting. That is very exciting. Now you've done all this uh, executive coach and I imagine you've traveled a lot. And then all of a sudden you became an author or rather you became a caregiver. So we're going back and sort of enlightening our audience. All of a sudden, you know, you're in France and you're having brie cheese and, you know, wonderful Chardonnay and, and the World Trade Center is being um, blown up and you have this epiphany basically to change your life. You go back to New York, you do just that. You start this awesome career um, and, and really doing a lot to change lives in the corporate arena in, in a very positive way. And then you became a caregiver and you wrote this wonderful book called The Sudden Caregiver. So tell me a little bit about that. Okay. I, you're absolutely right. I was enjoying my life. I was happily married. Uh, my husband and I had just, our kids were grown. We had just launched them. We were just able to have a carefree vacation. We went to Rome in the beginning of June for the first time really having fun because we, we weren't weighted down by worry. And we ended up um, we, we got back and he was complaining of a bad back. And within three months of that trip to Rome, he received a sudden diagnosis of a stage four cancer. And there was no inkling, inkling or inclination that that's where we were headed. And when he became uh, overnight a cancer patient, I became a sudden caregiver. And I looked for ways, there are 53 million caregivers in the United States. So I thought, well, there, there are so many caregivers, someone has figured this out. And I'm a, a big believer in reading books and finding experts who I can copy and follow. And there was no role model for me. It was clearly, I have to make this up as I go along and other people have had to do that as well. 
So when I was, so I, I fought with my husband for 18 months, we battled his cancer and we lost him and uh, in April of 2016. And at that point I said, this is what I wanna do. And after his funeral, I joined a writing workshop with some trusted friends and started writing my book, The Sudden Caregiver. And it was just published in February of this year. And very nice. So tell us a little bit about the book. Like what are their must do steps when you become a sudden caregiver to save your sanity, so to speak? Oh, I love this question. So I was in my very early career before I was a marketing person. And then before I was a, a coach, I was a technical writer. So for me, putting things into taking things that are complex, like caregiving, and putting it into a couple of models, like infographics that people could easily say, okay, I orient myself, this is the map that I find myself on the map, and these are the things I need to do. So I created, uh, and this was really a revelation to me, I remember the moment reading a technical paper about caregiving, a research paper. And the people who wrote that paper said, caregiving takes place in phases over time. And when I read it, I was in complete crisis. My whole life was changing and I was trying to care for my husband. And so I thought uh, that, was, that was like, it just gave me hope to think we were gonna move out of this crisis and into another area. So I created, a roadmap, it's called, and I use the acronym CARE, C-A-R-E, and you go from crisis to as normal as possible. You try to stay there with the person in your care for as long as possible. Eventually, because of events, whether it's the disease state or some, sometimes people get better or they get um, um, a, a little bit of a stay of the circumstance that they're in, and then there's a resolution. And then after the resolution, in my case, I lost my husband. I had to evolve back into my life. And it's a bit of a hero's journey. You can't just go, okay, that's over. I'm going to pick my life up. Everything forever was changed with that diagnosis. So I created that roadmap. And then the other thing is I created um, a checklist that no matter where you are on that roadmap, whatever phase you're in, there are these five things to consider. And I use the acronym PRISM, P-R-I-S-M. What are the practical things? So to save your sanity in crisis, you, you really need to understand what's the calendar look like? What's your time frame look like? How are you going to keep track of everything? Um, what are your financial si situation? What's your legal situation? Those, how, what are you going to do about work if you're, if you're a two income family and one person's income is now on hold. So those are all practical things. And then relationship things. So it, relationships, not all relationships when it comes to caregiving and dealing with a disease state are created equal. Some people really mean well, but don't know what to do. Uh, some people are, you know, they, they'd come and get you in the middle of the night if that's what you needed. So practical relationships, integrative. There are things besides just consulting with medical doctors, things like nutrition, acupuncture, 
um, meditation. There are things that you can do and help the person in your care with. And then the S in PRISM stands for social support. I, the one thing I overlooked, and I, I think many caregivers do, is we immediately narrow our view to it's just me and this disease and the medical community that's helping us. And there's a lot in every community, certainly in the United States, there are a lot of services in place already for caregivers to help with any number of issues, but we sometimes don't know where to look for those. And then the last is mindfulness. So I always think of what my, my late mom used to tell me, which was eat your vegetables, go outside and play, have a hobby, um, you know, spend time in good company. Those kinds of things are really applicable to self-care when it comes to caregiving. Very good. Now, what is the silver lining and then the drawbacks of utilizing telehealth? Now, did you, did you utilize a lot of telehealth when you were caring for your husband as well? It was not as developed, no. <laughs> I wish we had had that opportunity. I guess the COVID thing really kind of accelerated yes. the whole tele and telehealth, I guess. It absolutely did. I've used it since for myself. But I do think for telehealth, this one silver lining is a, there's a lot of research, as you know, saying that caregiving is really um, negative. It's very bad. It's bad for your health. It's, you know, caregivers have a tendency to be sicker, faster than non-caregivers um, and at risk of stroke and all kinds of things. And the reason, one reason is that they neglect their own health. They put their own health on hold. And, um, and so telehealth allows them, it's a double-edged sword, but it does allow them to get, to make that phone call for a, get a doctor's appointment right from the comfort of their home without worrying about who's gonna care for the person while I go out and what if I go out and get COVID and all of the things that we've dealt with in the last year. And tell me, what is the difference between positive psychology and, and traditional psychology? Oh, thank you for asking that question. So traditional psychology, the best way to answer it is if you picture a, a continuum, a line, and you have a minus 10 on one side and plus 10 on the other, and you have a zero in the middle. Traditional psychology tends to look at the negatives, whatever's going on with you, depression or you know, struggling in some way. And what Martin Seligman, who's the father of positive psychology, who I had the honor to, to study under at University of Pennsylvania, he says, it, and he had been a therapist and a, a psychologist. And he said, you know, I might get someone who is depressed from a minus eight to a minus two on that continuum. And what we want is for them to get to a plus two or a plus eight on the other side of that neutral place, that zero. So that's what is, he created the positive psychology structure and wellness and well-being models so that we could hope to take people from that negative side of psychology over to things like feeling self-determined, having courage, having an optimistic narrative, all of those things I used in caregiving because, you know, you'd have a bad, bad day, but say, but this good thing happened. And gratitude actually is one of the big things that's been measured and researched quite a bit that, that does have the possibility of 
of impacting you in that positive way. How does caregiving change you as a person? I mean, we've all have friends, but we relate to it a little bit with um, even my mother caring for my father, for instance, um, and so on. Everybody's got somebody close by that's taking care of it. I also had a cousin that really wasn't very good at being a, uh, a caregiver um, when her mother was going through stuff and, and was very annoyed um, with it, um, that her father had to do so much of that. So how does that change you, good, bad, or indifferent? I think that the first thing is it makes me more aware of it sounds like a cliche but life is short and your health is everything and so the idea that we routinely get leave our homes get in these 4000 pound vehicles drive onto highways with you know more of those 4000 pound vehicles speeding by us and that we take risks like that either you know risking our body as well as um our you know physically or or we hope that there isn't something going on hidden inside us like as in my husband's case cancer so we don't we simply don't know when how much time we have and we live as if we we have forever so that was one thing. And then the other thing is this idea that we need to grant ourselves grace, that every day isn't going to be a perfect day, certainly as a caregiver. And the idea, I'm, I'm just a little kinder to myself, not a lot, actually, but yeah. I'm just a little bit more aware that Emerson, there's an Emerson, Ralph Waldo Emerson quote that's, uh, live each day and let it go. You did your best. And that really, I literally have that on my decaled as a, as a saying on my hallway in my home in South Carolina, because that's, we are hard on ourselves. Yeah, we are for sure. That is a good quote. So I'm going to pay attention to that. So let me ask you this. So how did caregiving change you? You took care of your soulmate, you know, all that time. I mean, I'm sure you had you know, some really bad times that you would have liked to maybe perhaps throw them a towel in or close to it. Um, how did it change you? Did it make you, do you think it made you better in a lot of ways? Or do you think that, were you able to really comfort your husband all that time? I, oh, well, I, one thing that happened and I hear this as I talk to caregivers, uh, certainly writing my book, but since I've written it, one thing that people say quite frequently is that caregiving has brought us closer. And there's a well-being model it comes from positive psychology, but it's um, do we have positive? Can we find positive emotions in a tough situation? Can we find ways that we're engaged and sort of that transcend the minute by minute, you know, dealing with traffic, trying to get to doctor's appointments? There's is there something transcendent about the relationship we're, we're in? And then for my husband and I, we really, we were busy traveling, successful, and we stopped and looked at what's really important here. And that has really changed me and really made me aware of how, how much meaning and purpose I got in that caregiving situation and also not perfect. Like I'll tell you, and there's stories in my book about this, but I, I know that I was 
more human than I cared to be on some days of the week. And caregivers will also share that. Very good. So how did you take like a situation with, with your husband? Because we know things get down and, and, and dirty a lot of different ways. Um, how did you take some of the negative uh, commentary from him? Because I'm sure he had, you know, his moments where it was less than joyful. And how do you take that and not take that personally? Or how did you take that and not take it personally? Uh, well, I think I, in the very beginning, in the crisis stage, when we were just reeling from the news that this was happening, I would say that was where we had the most challenges like that. I, I want to say, and this is a true compliment to the man that my late husband was, that he really, I want to say he was a trooper. He was this, I'm going to do this and I'm not going to, he never complained. He seemed perfectly happy with whatever decisions I was making on our behalf. He turned to me at one point in the very beginning and he said, you're the, you're the best problem solver I know, and you have to get us through this. And that really gave me license to do the things that we needed to do. So I will say there were in those moments when they occurred, where I didn't e either didn't understand that he was as sick as he was. And so I was expecting him to do something normal and he wasn't necessarily, like one example is we were supposed to meet in the lobby of a hotel when we were at a Christmas party. And I went, I was in the lobby and he was coming down and I called him and he said, I'll be right there, but he didn't. And I didn't understand that he wasn't just occupied with email or whatever. He really was not tracking time as well at that time, but I wasn't there yet. So those moments, and I run a caregiving group and we, we talk about this, people will say, well, how do you deal with anger? Because it's so unjust <laughs> some days. And I, the ways that I found, and I think there, it's a small way, but it really helps is to find a way to change your body chemistry, find a way to open a window, turn on your favorite, favorite music, go outside and walk around the block. All those things that they tell us that are cliches like count to 10, they actually have scientific basis for them just to give yourself a break from your own adrenaline rush. And it brings some IQ points back into the, into the mix. Very good. So how do you want other people that are currently caregivers and those of us that at some point in our lives are going to be a caregiver? You know, it's, it's just, it's going to happen on some level. So how do you, what do you want? What's the takeaway of the book? Oh, the biggest takeaway is that caregiving is as difficult as it seems. And it, it, I have no magic bullet that's going to make that not so. And it is also a source of well-being. That's the major takeaway. And, and I have research on both those points. Like It is absolutely true that we can measure caregiving, the negative impact of caregiving, caregiving in COVID on caregivers. But if you create for yourself a practice, a deliberate practice of resilience, not just go along with how things are unfolding, but to say, no, I'm going to choose to see what's good in this. If, if there's, I'm just going to find one good thing or two good things. 
in the day that I just had that was as difficult as it was. Um, and I, I guess I'm a big believer in kindness. And at, early on, I read a quote that said, always be kinder than you feel. And I don't know who said it, but I feel like every once in a while, that's a good thing to remind ourselves as caregivers that. Well, just in general, for that matter, you know, that's, yeah. a good, that's a good uh, motto to embrace, you know, yeah. always, because it's not easy. Well, Karen, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you. And I recommend everybody go out and read the Sudden Caregiver book that you've written. And uh, it sounds really packed full of, of resources and how to manage caregiving and a variety of tips and, and understanding caregiving and then sort of allowing that caregiver being able to take a break and um, take a moment to really appreciate themselves as well. Do you have any tips on there? Like if people are caregiving somebody that's really just, you know, mean, uh, <laughs> I mean, cause a lot of times that happens, you know, medication changes people. And I heard a story the other day with, with my neighbor talking about um, uh, a relative and they had uh, like Parkinson's and they said there was a certain part of the brain and doctors said, he's probably going to be mean here for about, you know, maybe 60 days. And then once that, after that happens then the brain changes back and it'll go away. So, so it happens, people become sort of mean spirited in a way. So how do you sort of guide people that have that uh, relative or loved one that is kind of mean spirited? I think uh, some of the things I just talked about, just sort of having your mantra on kindness, but also looking at the caregiving role as I use the metaphor quarterback, which isn't always, I, lo I love American sports, but not everyone does. But I think as soon as you can assume the position of caregiver, it puts you in charge. It puts you at cause on what decisions need to be made. And you are actually in a better position than the person in your care, even though they, and, and my husband certainly did, they fight it. They don't, they, you know, there were days when my husband, I thought he thought I was just making up things to make life harder for him when I was just trying to do what the doctor said. But um, so the best thing is build your, build that resilience muscle and really, you know, in, at, in my corporate world, people would say, Karen, don't take it personally. But, and, and I'd say, well, that's easy for you to say. But in this role, that is a good thing to keep in mind, not to keep it personally, take it personally. Yeah, I guess at the end of the day, that always is a good one because it's really hard not to take things personally like that. But anyway, Karen, it's been a pleasure. <clears throat> and um, I look forward to hearing more about the second book you're probably going to write that may not be the same about caregiving, but I'm sure you've got another book you're thinking about putting together. I may be on, um, you know, executive coaching or teaching other people how to be better executive coaches at the same time. And Victoria, thank you so much. Yeah, it was it was great talking to you and you asked amazing questions. So thank you for that. All right. Will you be well and take care and enjoy San Diego on your trip with your family for the first time in a year and a half. And I'm thank certainly going to be safe and a happy, healthy one as well. Yes. Thank you so much. Tune in next time as there's always something new to learn on Ariel Talk Time. If you're a professional lifestyle consultant looking to expand your brand, gain more recognition, or to be featured with an exceptional group of inspiring professionals, join Ariel. Visit Ariel.com.